that if you're drafting inside the top five next year, right, it needs to be a Josh Rosen, Kyler Murray situation for a lot of these. Because I just don't think this quarterback class is that good. Welcome into the Titans 10 for Thursday, March the 31st. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, a broadcaster and writer with Broadway Sports Media and the 440 Podcast Network. Joined, as always, by James Foster, a.k.a. No Flags Film. James, hello. What's up, Easton? That's all? That's all you get? That's the winning response? That's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. That's your sticky. Okay. All right. Well, hello. Uh, good to good to be with you. Excited for our interview today with Austin Gale of PFF. Uh, we've got another episode of this show. Just a little housekeeping coming tomorrow morning. Um, the the top ten QB episode. We're gonna go through James's top ten graded QBs from his from his draft guide. Uh, the top ten quarterbacks in this draft class. We'll discuss. Uh, each and every one of them and why the Titans should take none of them. But that's something to look forward to for tomorrow. For today, we've got Austin Gale, who's just a delightful guest. Uh, you're going to really enjoy this conversation we had with him over the next 30-ish minutes. So without further ado, here is Austin Gale. All right, let's welcome into the Titans 10, Austin Gale. He is the director of content at pff as well as the co-host of the tailgate podcast with mike renner so we've now completed the tailgate infinity gauntlet for this show uh, it's a pretty lame one because it's just got two stones but we've, we've had mike on and now we've got austin on austin hello how's it going doing great thanks for having me on yeah we're excited to have you we're just going to go through uh maybe some titans related draft topics today just uh cut it cut it up a little bit i know james has a number of questions so james how about you start us off? What do you got for Austin? Yeah, well, I mean, first, just want to ask you, I think I've heard you mention uh, once or twice that you're working on a podcast with Aiden Hutchinson. Is that maybe true? That is true. It is true. Yeah. I'm I think I've heard that one single time. I think I've heard about this. <laughs> yeah, me, me and Aiden are, are putting some, some some cool content together. He's a, he's an awesome dude who uh, has a really cool story to tell. And I think we, you know, in this podcast that we come out, it's coming out in April 2022. Uh, I think it'll be somewhere in mid-April where we really just go kind of like his entire story. And we have a lot of people, a part of the project right now, his family, a lot of media analysts, draft analysts and stuff like that. And it's been fun to find out about a guy that's going to go in the top five, right? And see what makes him tick and what, you know, kind of the creation or the anatomy of a number one overall pick, right? And what a guy, you know, who he is and all that stuff. It's been really cool. It's been good to get to know Aiden, get to know his family. I know more about him than probably any other prospect I've ever evaluated, <laughs> given just the amount of time I've spent with him and his family and other people close to him. So it's been an awesome project and it's been, it's been fun to be a part of. I, it's, it's funny, like a couple hours ago, I was listening to the Move the Sticks podcast with Daniel Jeremiah and he mentioned that Aiden Hutchinson wouldn't go on spring break with his friends because he would just like lament the fact that he wasn't getting better, which yeah. I feel like is just kind of the insane work ethic that you have and, to have. And I, I will say like, I think some of that work ethic stuff can become, I don't know if this language on this podcast is too far, but like a dick measuring contest in some ways, like with prospects, it's like, Oh, I, I work out so hard and I, I work out 50 right. times a day and stuff like that. But I think with Aiden, what, what's really impressive for me is that it does feel very, very genuine. Like he is authentic and very genuine in, 
he wants to be the best and maximize kind of his potential, right? There's that story that Harbaugh talks a ton about where he goes to the strength and conditioning coach coming back for his senior year. His name is Ben Herbert and one-on-one, no cameras, no one in front of him. He says, Hey, Ben coach, coach Herb is what they call him. I need you to ring me out every single day. I need you to get the best out of my body. I need to be the best I possibly can be. And that's like, that's what he tries to do with everything, right? He journals every single day, writing down his goals, highlights and lowlights of his day and how he's going to get better. Like he is like so locked into being the best. And I think it's why someone of his size has the athletic testing that he does that, you know, someone has to at 6% body fat at one point, why he's so productive as a player uh, this past year, right? He wrote down his goals. He wanted to break his dad's sack record, um, you know, be the best player in the country, compete for the Heisman. And, you know, a lot of those things came to fruition, obviously in 2021. Yeah. I, I was before this uh, podcast, I was watching some of the top edges, just kind of like finalizing my board, really just watching like Hutchinson, Thibodeau and Trayvon Walker back to back to back. And it, it, you know, when you watch them all kind of in one sitting, like it really does set into me that, that Hutchinson is the clear edge one in this class. I'm not sure if, do you, is, is he your edge one? I, maybe you're, maybe you're biased. Is he like out of your rankings or something? So, so I, I do think he is the edge one. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's like obvious, right? I, mm-hmm. I think he is the best edge prospect in this class, but I don't think it's Aiden Hutchinson, a huge gap, and then say Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, George Karloftis. I still think George Karloftis, the Purdue edge defender, is a top 10 player. Right. I think Trayvon Walker, his ascent I'm buying into given you know how limited he limited he was from a role perspective, right? He played a lot of head up inside the tackles at Georgia. At Georgia, they prioritize run defense, run defense, run defense. They don't have their guys like pinning their ears back and, and have two-way goes on the offensive tackle, not a lot of one-on-one situations. And then with Kayvon Thibodeau, I, I'm buying him as my edge too, and a guy that I think could go as high as number one, if not number two overall. I think he's that good of a prospect. And I think as much as Aiden Hutchinson's work ethic gets highlighted and his character and his effort and all that stuff. Kayvon Thibodeau is a high effort dude as well on and off the field. He's a guy that works extremely hard at his craft. And I think a lot of the media, a lot of the narrative around him has been dragging him down due to other interests and his interest in maximizing his brand and maximizing his value. And I think the on-field effort concerns are exaggerated. I think when he gets lost in games, it's more on opponent game planning than it is necessarily like him letting off the gas. Like, again, I, I, I don't understand some of it. Right. And I think some of it is like racial bias. Right. I think if if Aiden Hutchinson was doing the same things Kayvon Thibodeau was like releasing NFTs and, and playing people on chess and discord, people would be talking about him as the next Steve Jobs. But because it's Kayvon Thibodeau, for whatever reason, there are these biases that like just drive him down boards. I also think another component of this could be say, hey, Atlanta Falcons tell X reporter, X draft mm-hmm. analyst that we feel, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau is not even a top 10 player and all these different things. Right. And that, that ultimately gets him an opportunity to go to the Atlanta Falcons, maybe other teams buy into that. And I will say, I have not had the opportunity to interview or talk to one-on-one with Kayvon Thibodeau. So I am really just buying from what I've heard, watching a lot of the interviews I've seen and also talking to a lot of other respected analysts in space. Yeah. Well, the Kayvon Thibodeau thing was, was actually the next thing I was going to ask you because you had him going at number two to Detroit in your mock draft. And you mentioned their kind of, uh, how the concerns about effort and passion are overblown. And like, I rewatched, I think four or five uh, Kayvon Thibodeau games uh, just a couple hours ago. Like the amount of times that he's dropping into coverage, running across the field, like making sideline tackles. I, I just was routinely having this thought of like, where, where are these effort concerns coming from? 
Um, so that narrative has never really made sense to me. I usually just kind of defer to the experts as far as like, you know, this guy interviewed poorly, this guy, whatever. Cause like, I, I have no way of knowing that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, um, it, it, it's, it is kind of like, it's kind of weird because I think that Kayvon Thibodeau is maybe not as high of a ceiling of an athlete as like, sort of the consensus has been and I know I, I don't think we've gotten like testing from him from a pro day but just uh, as far as like you know hip flexibility and stuff like that um, it, that's you know that's why to me Aiden Hutchinson is is the clear edge one I, I wouldn't say it's it's a tier um, but number seven in your mock draft you had uh, Trayvon Walker and kind of you know expanding on that what do you think about a guy that has you know, by no fault of his own, really shown nothing in terms of pass rushing skill set, um, just because, you know, his, his role was essentially just protect the C gap every play. Um, mm -hmm. So like, if you're kind of putting on the GM cap, how would you sort of balance uh, that decision? But, you know, obviously the athletic upside, but just like not really having the production to go off of. So it makes him more of a projection, right? And I right. think talking to mm -hmm. NFL teams, talking to scouts, so much of their interest when they are evaluating players is mitigating or limiting risk, right? There's there's more risk to projecting Trayvon Walker as a pure edge type in the NFL than there is with Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau or some of these other guys, because you have not seen him play that position, right? And I think while he has all these projectable traits, like the athletic testing, the size, weight, speed, all that stuff. I do think with Trayvon Walker, you are projecting him into a role he just has not played a lot of, right? Aiden Hutchinson has played three times the snaps that Trayvon Walker has as, an, as a pure edge alignment. Now, do you want to play him protecting the C-gap and all that stuff? Then it's a lot easier to project what Trayvon Walker can do at the next level. I think all these things that you look for when you're kind of putting together an evaluation of a player is like, what are you creating excuses for? And what are their actual reasons for reasons for Trayvon Walker's production is that he did not play a pure pass rusher pin the ears back type of role in Georgia's defense reasons for him not having, um, you know, a lot of pass rush moves developed is because he hasn't had a lot of opportunity to show it. Right. And I do think that there will be, that's where a lot of the evaluation process and everyone talks about the combine. The most important piece is the interviews. Talk to Trayvon Walker. You know, what does he want to play in the NFL? Where does he feel like he can improve? What is he doing to add pass rush moves? Who's he working with in terms of a pass rush specialist, all that stuff? A lot of those answers can honestly take you so much further than any athletic testing can because you'll really find out what a player is doing. And when you have those same questions with Aiden Hutchinson, when you have it with Kayvon Thibodeau and even George Karloftis, I think all four of those guys are top 10, top 15 caliber players. And I think all, all four ultimately probably go in the top 12 picks. Um, you had Nicobe Dean uh, sneaking into the first round at pick number 32 to the Lions. What do you think the likelihood of him being a first rounder is um, just, you know, given his lack of size and length? I, I think it's likely because I think people will buy into the production. They'll buy into the helmet and they'll buy into the, uh, the speed, right? They see mm -hmm. speed. And now we haven't seen a lot of athletic testing from Nicobe Dean, but we do know how big he is. And there are teams that legitimately will cross him off their board for how, you know, the, the length concerns and the size concerns. Right. And I don't think he's going to play an Uber or an overly diverse role at the next level, right. You're going to want to limit him in terms of what you ask him to do, play downhill, go get the quarterback, go get the running back, do these different things. So there's also going to be, in addition to teams crossing him off for size thresholds, teams crossing him off uh, purely because they don't, you know, have that role in their defense or specifically at off ball linebackers. So 
I do think that there's a good chance he goes in the first round. I'd be shocked if he doesn't. I had him falling farther in my mock draft because I just couldn't find an area where it made sense. I couldn't. It's a low value position for a player that's undersized. I'm more often going to be investing in edge corner receiver tackle and even QB before I start to look at Nicobe Dean as that player I want in the first round. Well, I appreciate you for not mocking Nicobe Dean to the Titans. Because I was about to say the odds some, of him being for a some reason it's, are a hundred percent because the Titans are taking him, man. If you go on like a um, consensus draft mock, whatever the website's called and like <laughs> the, the most common mock draft pick for the Titans is, is linebacker, which is, um, Kind of funny to me. I wanted to yeah. ask you, though, about um, uh, a fellow San Diego State Aztec, Cameron Thomas. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on him as far as a, a draft prospect? It's been a really tough pre-draft process for Cameron Thomas. I think it's been very similar to or requisite to my Jay Sanders of Cincinnati. And that in this pre-draft process, like he's just not done a lot to help himself. Shows up to the senior ball first time and first practice, he's fully padded. I shook his hand. I talked to him a little about what his plans are. He pulls out of the senior ball due to a hamstring injury. Same situation happens at the combine. We don't get to see a lot of athletic testing from him because of this hamstring injury. Now you go back to his tape and I, I, I don't love the size he weighed in at either. And I think some of that, again, is tied back to this injury and you lose so much weight in your legs or you're not able to work out lower half. Like there's a lot of excuses or reasons for why Cameron Thomas isn't, say, checking boxes at the senior bowl, checking boxes at the combine. Um, But when you aren't checking boxes in this process, you're going to slide because other guys are. Trayvon Walker is, George Karloftis is, other guys are going to be checking these boxes. So I ultimately think he's a day two player. And I also like, I just don't think every team's going to be in love with him in seeing this pre-draft process. Him being mocked at the back end of the first round, I think those days are over. I don't see him being a first round player when it's all said and done. Unfortunately, because he's a San Diego State alum. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a guy that it's always really interesting to me um, watching guys in in December, January, February, and then athletic testing comes out and it's like whoa because he's a guy that I would I would have thought had like thirty four inch arms just p- partially because of like level of competition I guess is like he looks so much longer than everyone else but I just I think he uses his length really well if he can stay healthy I think he has a, a chance to be a, a really productive edge defender. Um, what uh, what would you say has been the most difficult evaluation for you in this class, just wrestling within your own head? Easy, easy one here. Traylon Burks. I, I, I find myself mm. struggling because so many analysts love Traylon Burks. And I, I like the size, six foot to 225. I've talked to the player. I think he's a super nice kid. He's a young kid that I think has the right demeanor to really exceed in the NFL. I'm not in love with the tape. I don't see the AJ Brown comparisons. I don't see the DK Metcalf comparisons. I, I don't know why we're buying into such high profile comparisons for DK Metcalf or for, for Traylon Burks. Cause I don't see any of that on his tape. So much of his production is on passing, you know, passes below behind nine yards. Like it's a lot of underneath stuff. It's a lot of yak stuff, which I know that's what Brown was too, but you saw him win down the field. I liked his hands better. I liked his ball skills better. I liked his route tree better. Do you have a Some, comp for him that you like? I, this one's tough, but like, I, I, I do see like some like poor man's poor, poor man's AJ Brown, poor, poor man's DK Metcalf only because they have like the size thresholds, but like, mm. I don't want to put the JJ Arthega Whiteside comp on him. I don't see that necessarily, but there's also like late career Josh Gordon on his tape, right? Where he's not as explosive as he was anymore. Josh Gordon early in his career was obviously insane, but late career Josh Gordon looking a little bit like a blimp and not as necessarily having the explosiveness that he has now. So Traylon Burks to me, 
The tape was never as explosive as it was billed as. The hand that I, I think is like, expertise or his polish as a route runner was never as good as his pulled as. And I still see him as a wide receiver one on some people's boards. I'm not taking him as the wide receiver one in this class. No way I'm taking him over London or the two Ohio state receivers, but um, back into the first round, top of the second round, that's where I start to feel good about Traylon Burks. I think he ultimately goes higher than that because people are buying into the size and the speed. Um, but I, I'm really interested to see the role he plays in the NFL. Does he play in the slot? Does he play on the outside? Are you involving him on underneath stuff? Or are you actually trying to create a receiver or, or build a receiver that can win down the football field? Because I just haven't seen a lot of that, like a lot of that like legit, legit multiple route, route tree uh, success on his tape. Yeah, my, my comp for him is Jawan Jennings. Um, that's, that's like the best one. It's, it's, he's a hard person to comp, but yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you on, on trail and Burks. I remember, I think, so if I'm, if I'm a lot lower on someone than consensus or like people whose opinions I respect, like I'll continue to watch film and keep an open mind. And I think it was like the seventh or eighth game. And, uh, I think Texas A&M and he, he, he beats press coverage wins down the field in like a traditional NFL route. And I just remember being completely shocked. Cause I'm like, wow, this is the first time that he's not like taking a jet sweep or something and, and making an explosive play out of that. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting evaluation. I, I do think ultimately I'll probably be proven wrong given just how many people are high on Traylon Burks. And I buy into this kind of consensus opinion and, and what people see in Traylon Burks, but I like London Wilson, Olave. I even like Jamison Williams all ahead of Burks. And even at that point, I even like George Pickens, the Georgia wide receiver potentially over, over Traylon Burks. You see, you see, you see more short area quicks. You see more mm-hmm. explosiveness in his route in his routes than you do Traylon Burks, despite, you know, how, how often he's talked about as this kind of big body explosive receiver. Uh, it seems like George Pickens could run like two dig routes by the time Traylon Burks finished one, honestly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he, he, that dude cuts are violent. Um, you're uh, I really like what you guys are doing uh, this year with tailgate, how you kind of are having your own rankings and then uh, you and Mike are comparing them. Um, you have Desmond Ritter as your quarterback one, which is kind of an opinion that I'm starting to become more popular. I think um Klassen is his first name, Derek. I don't want to. Yes. Derek Klassen. Yeah. I think he said that uh, Desmond Ritter was his, his QB one. So uh, sell me on Desmond Ritter. He's got a lot of projectable tape. I don't uh, projectable traits too. I think he's an athlete. He's not maybe the athlete that Malik Willis is, but he's an athlete. He doesn't have the arm that Malik Willis has, but it's a good one. He, but what he does have more than any quarterback in this class, in my opinion, is projectable tape, hitting the backside dig, hitting intermediate routes, with fire hitting intermediate routes with touch, you know, molt he compared to Matt Corral is like night and day in terms of like pass variability, right? Matt Corral has mm. a laser and a laser only like Desmond yep. Ritter can, can be variable with how he throws the football, which all of that translates so much more. I hate the term pro style offense. I think it should be punted because now no one runs a pro style offense. It's all kind of some levels of gimmicks and stuff like that, but there are more NFL concepts on Desmond Ritter's tape where he exceeds expectations than probably any quarterback in this class. And that's what I want, right? In a class where I don't think, I think Malik Willis could ultimately not pan out in the NFL. I think Sam Howell could, Matt Corral did, but Desmond Ritter, I feel high. I feel the best about his floor. I feel the best about him playing right away. That's why I'm buying into him. Now, if your QB one is Malik Willis or your QB one is say, um, uh, Sam Howell or Matt Corral, you're buying into what those guys could be in normal offenses. Right. 
Sam, 46% of Sam Howell's snaps were RPOs. Like no NFL team runs RPOs on more than like 20% of snap, maybe like 15. Like that's not a common yeah. concept. With Malik, with Malik Willis, vertical lead, vertical lead, vertical lead. Where's the backside dig? Where's where's even like some of the intermediate stuff like hitches and stuff? Like you just don't see a lot of those throws. Like it's so much, who's got my one-on-one? I'm reading one half of the field. I'm going to fire it because I have this big arm. Corral is very similar. Obviously how obviously Willis. And then with Pickett, you know, compare Pickett to Ritter. Some people are like, oh, but he's, you know, he's runs pro style concepts too. And I think you see some of them, but like processing slow. I think he's late on a lot of things. He's very accurate with the football and throws to receivers leverage, but he doesn't have the arm talent. I don't even think of Ritter or Howell in this class. That's where I'm concerned. He's also 23, 24 years old. Right. And everyone's like, well, what does, what does age matter? What's the point? Desmond Ritter is going to be second year in the NFL by the time he's as old as Kenny Pickett, right? Like we're seeing Kenny Pickett's 23, 24 year old season in college where mm. we won't see that for Ritter until he's in the NFL, which more development playing the position, more development for these different things. Like I, I do think age is super important when you, when you factor in quarterback play and also other, other positions as well. Like I, he is going to turn 24 in June, right? Like that's that he's playing his entire rookie season at 24 years old. Desmond Ritter doesn't turn 24 until like two, two years from now. <laughs> you know, I don't think again, like that, I do think the age conversation and draft analysis gets put as like, Oh, you don't want older prospects. Cause he's going to be by 30 by his second contract. That's not why it's a negative. It's sure. a negative because Kenny Pickett was as old as what Desmond Ritter will be in his third season in the NFL last year playing at Pittsburgh. Can you imagine projecting Desmond Ritter at 24 in the Cincinnati office two years from now? I bet you he'd be one of the best quarterbacks in, in college football with how much he progressed and all that kind of stuff. So I do think age is super important. That's a big reason why I'm dragging, dragging Pickett down because we did not see the success from Pickett until this last year. And you go back and watch some of this tape, the ACC defenses are horrendous. Like he's, those cornerback, cornerback play is so bad. Like you are seeing so many situations where like receivers are creating objectively insane separation against cornerbacks that will never sniff an NFL field. And that, in my opinion, you have to factor in as well. So I think it's a difficult conversation because none of these quarterbacks are that great. I don't think Desmond Ritter is a QB four or QB five in last year's class, but I do think he's the QB one in this one because there's a lot of guys with low floors and guys that like, like Kenny Pickett, where there are some things you like, but it's a little bit later in his developmental process. Yeah, I well, that reasoning is the same reason that I have um, Sam Howell as QB one. Like Mike really sold sold me on it. Like just the fact that he's a true junior, and mm-hmm. it's like you know at this point in Malik Willis's career, he was the third string quarterback at Auburn. You know, so it, it is, I think, important to um, sort of look at the development track on those things. And I I, I totally agree with you as far as Desmond Ritter. Um, showing a lot more stuff that's translatable into to the NFL. Like something that I think is underrated when you talk about these sh- like Shanahan play action offenses is being able to throw with enough velocity, um, but also enough touch over the middle of the field to get it over the linebackers. And like some of um, some of um, Desmond Ritter's throws over the middle of the field are beautiful. Um, I think it's actually interesting that uh, you guys mentioned like that he was struggling throwing on the run at his pro day. Cause like on tape, I thought his accuracy on the move on like boots and stuff I thought was, uh, was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely see Desmond Ritter panning out. It's, it, this is kind of a quarterback class that it, no matter who my QB one is, I'm not really like hitching my wagon to them. I'm not, I'm not staking my rec- reputation on, on any of these guys panning out. No, I'm with you. I, I think that's the other thing too. And I was having this conversation on tailgate today, the podcast with Mike and I, um, 
I think ownership, specific, you know, like team ownership needs to be understanding that if you do take one of these guys in the top 20 and your GM's locking in, just say Willis, Pickett, Crow, Howell inside the top 20, hell, even Ritter. I think you have to enter with the expectation that if you're drafting inside the top five next year, you can't remove QB off your list if they did not pan out, right? It needs right. to be a Josh Rosen, Kyler Murray situation for a lot of these. Cause I just don't think this quarterback class is that good. If you're going into it and your ownership's like, if you draft Kenny Pickett at six, say you're looking at the Carolina Panthers, for example, Scott Fitterer, Matt Rule, if you draft Kenny Pickett at six, we're committing at least three years to him and going to develop him. If you say that, it's like, I'm not taking Pickett at six then. Cause I don't think it could work out. There's a chance it is terrible. So I think that you have to hope that there's, there's some, mutual understanding between ownership and the decision makers in the NFL, the decision makers for these teams saying, Hey, quarterback class isn't good. The quarterback we have right now isn't good. We're going to take a flyer on this guy. If it's absolutely terrible, terrible, and there's nothing to build off of after year one, we're going to be looking at CJ Stroud, Bill Levis, Bryce Young, some of these other quarterbacks in 2023. Yeah. Um, just one more question for you. Um, kind of a two-parter, but what position would you say that PFF grades are the most and least reliable for, in your opinion? Good question. I think the most reliable is edge. Easily the most reliable. It's not even close. Like our pass rushing grades are so good at projecting to the next level. Highest pass rushing grades in the PFF college era since we started doing it in 2014 are Miles Garrett, Von Miller, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack. Like it's very- It's a group of guys. Yeah, it's very good for your NFL prospects to produce at the collegiate level in PFF's pass rushing grades. I think offensive line is also very good, specifically on true pass sets. Where it's terrible, not terrible, but not great at projecting is probably corner. Any of the off-ball positions, corner, safety, off-ball linebacker, just because you're asked to do so many different things, they're really dependent on ball production. Um, you're, you're not going to be in a position where like a cornerback grades super well but doesn't foot face a host of NFL receivers. I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of those production grades translate. We're trying to improve those areas of our grading to make them more predictable. But right now they're so much more descriptive than they are predictive, right? Whereas pass rushing mm. grades, clean pocket passing grade, pass protection grade on true pass sets. Those things are like legitimately predictive to future outcomes in the NFL where with quarterbacks, it's like he graded 98.5 for TCU last year. It's like, great. That was last year. That does not hang going into the NFL. A lot of other things are more important at the cornerback and off ball linebacker positions other than production grades. Yeah. I always, I always say, like, I think that, um, that pass like PFF pass rushing grades and then like stuff like Brandon Thorne's true sack rate, that kind of stuff that, that really filters out, unblocked sacks, you know, stunts, that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I was like the only, the only person in Titans media that didn't want to re-sign Harold Landry. So I, I've, uh, <laughs> I true. kind of like get what that is, but, um, and then, yeah, I think, I think like the conversation about how, how do you quantify a, a defensive backs performance is so interesting because like, it, it really doesn't make sense to highly factor in, um, you know, plays where they aren't targeted, you know? because it's like it's tough you, right you can't you can't like watch a corner and you know maybe the receiver cuts in on a dig route and the corner continues to bail off well maybe he was bailing off into cover three or maybe he got you know beaten by the route it's like you just you end up with like so much you know guesswork and so you end up with this really restricted sample size of like if you look at of any position in the NFL where I think the league has the most difficulty on evaluation, it's cornerback. It's not even close. Timo Risque, who's a data analyst here at PFF, or data scientist here at PFF, wrote an article about what positions teams are getting 
at the most surplus value on in their we, did, we discussed that article, great article. article. Last you look at that time. article right and timo highlights cornerback is one where like you're getting as much surplus value drafting guys in the first versus you're getting in the fourth it's because mm-hmm. no one knows what they're doing at cornerback right no one <laughs> yeah, knows right. how to evaluate and also like you draft a, it's, it's also like you draft a cornerback you know, Jeff, Jeffrey Okuda, whoever, super highly. And then defensive coordinator change, ask him to do something different. And he's going to be playing less press than he played before. It's such a scheme-dependent position. You know, Mike says this all the time. The further you get away from the ball, the more your role is scheme-dependent, right? If you're a defensive tackle, it's not super, you know, edge defender. But if you get out to outside corner, so scheme-dependent. Are you running a ton of cover three? You're running a lot of single high concepts. Are you running press or no press? You're running cover four, cover two. You need... It's so dependent on the scheme. And guess what? When you're drafted by a team that runs a lot of cover one one year, you might run cover two the next year, depending if the defense coordinator gets fired and all that stuff. I do think that the cornerback position is one of the hardest ones to also rank, right? Because it's like, okay, if I'm a man team, this is my board. If I'm a zone team, this is my board. And that that makes it that much more difficult as well. So I do think it's a difficult position to evaluate. It's a difficult, difficult position to develop. Because I think you need a lot of reps and a lot of opportunities to do it in the system you're going to do. Um, and I think te- we've seen that from teams, right? Teams, I think, have missed a ton on those quarter- or on those players. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's a really interesting discussion about just, you know, how how kind of, you know, not just PFF, but like people in the analytics community or, you know, whatever you want to call it can just, you know, continue to try to find ways to improve the way that that we're like assigning value to players. Um, Austin, thank you so much for coming on. Had a great conversation. Um, everybody definitely go check out the Hutch podcast, April 22nd, you said? It's coming out April. in April. Sometime April, in April. Sometime in April. Yeah. You uh, can subscribe now though, is that right? You can yes. subscribe now. Look up Hutch wherever you find your podcast and subscribe you now. And you can also check out Tailgate. Tailgate with Mike and I. We do uh, three or four episodes a week. Only three this week. He's on PTO. He's going skiing this week. All right. Thanks, Austin. It's been a pleasure to listen to you guys talk about what you love to, to talk <laughs> about. And it's uh, it's just interesting to, to listen to two really intelligent minds cut it up about the draft. So we appreciate your time and maybe we'll have you on again next year. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have All a good right, one. Peace out, Austin.